I'm excited this morning to share with you on the subject of making disciples. Making disciples. Wonderful book. I, I, I rarely, I mean, I always have them on my mind, but I rarely mention them in the context of a message, a Sunday morning lesson. Um, but I love to give resource recommendations to people. And uh, if you were to pick a book in the next year to read, and some of you it may take the rest of the year to read this one because it's a big one, uh, and talk about an impact. There's an incredible book uh, written three to four years ago by a great, great Christian leader today. You should become familiar with him if you're not, Eric Metaxas. And Eric wrote a book called Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. Uh, Prophet, let's see, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy, Bonhoeffer. I believe is still only in hardback, and it's about that thick, but it is a life changer. If you haven't had a chance to read that, actually, uh, um, it's, it's, it's just one of those books that will really, really challenge you, influence you, incredibly informative. It is not boring. Yes, it is about a historical figure, a Christian leader named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, who was a German pastor and who was greatly persecuted for his faith. He led and ministered during uh, the Nazi regime, and his life story is told in that book. Today I just want to give a, a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself, who was very prolific in his writing and his speaking, but this is what he said about discipleship. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth, which has placed, which has a place for the fatherhood of God, but omits Christ as the living Son. There is trust in God, but no following of Christ. I'm sure many of you have heard it said before, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but... Being a disciple of Jesus is kind of the next level. Well, now that's really serious stuff when you get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I contend that a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And personally, I agree with McTax's argument that Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. What does that suggest to us? Let me just, first of all, go to the Word of God in Luke chapter 14. The Bible speaks much about being a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? The word disciple simply means a follower that is disciplined, a disciplined follower. There are those that are philosophers who have disciples who follow after them. There are movements who you might say, he's a disciple of this or that or this person or that person. But what does the Bible tell us about discipleship or about being a disciple? Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 31 says, Anyone, Jesus' words, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Don't you first sit down, estimate the cost, see if you have enough money to complete it. If you lay the foundation, are you not able to finish it? Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began and wasn't able to finish. What's Jesus' point? We need to count the cost. What it means. 
There is a cost to follow Jesus. Someone say amen. Following Jesus, salvation is free. But following Jesus as a disciple will cost you something. That's the distinction. Jesus goes on to tell us many things about what it means to be a disciple. Dallas Willard, who passed away just a couple of years ago, an incredible author, uh, I would also recommend any of his writings, made this statement. He said, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. That's a profound statement. To learn how to do what Jesus said to do. He is not the one who has things under control or who simply knows a lot. No, no, no. They are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Wow, that is a profound statement. It has nothing to do with what you know. It has to do with the decision to learn to do what he told us to do. Let's look at another scripture, one that all of you know. What do we typically refer to Matthew 28, 19, and 20? What are we usually the label that we put on this? The Great Commission. Let's look at it carefully. Therefore, words of Jesus, after, just before his ascension, after his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, go and, everybody say it, make disciples of all nations. Literally, the word nations, they're people groups, groups of people of different, different cultures, different groups, different languages baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is the command there? Go and make disciples. The participle go precedes the focal point of the Great Commission, which sometimes we lose in all kinds of dialogue and discussion, everything from baptizing, which is important, but how we baptize versus the teaching part of it, to all these different things that are very, all very important. But sometimes we lose focus. What is the subject of these verses? Make disciples. The only way you can make disciples is to go in activity. Isn't the idea. The idea is we have to obey. We've got to go. Notice that this is not provided in some kind of a pray about it and if you feel led, go. You notice this is not presented as some optional suggestion. It is presented as a very clear what? Command. Therefore, go. And by the way, the therefore we always have to ask. What is there for? In the previous verse, Jesus made the declaration, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. It's all mine. Therefore, go make disciples. But yet, the making of disciples is an art and a practice that many of us ignore and omit, individuals and churches. Let me suggest some facts, not suggest, inform you of some facts and statistics that are as current as I could find. Did you know that 85% of all Christians have never personally led someone to Jesus Christ? That doesn't mean you haven't invited someone to go to some Christian movie, but personally led them to Christ. That is alarming to me. 
that 85% of all Christians have never personally invited, helped someone to know Jesus Christ. An average, did you know that an average of 80 to 85% of new believers, as someone who says yes to Jesus and accepts Christ, 80 to 85% of new believers will leave the church within 8 to 12 weeks of their conversion. In other words, they'll fall away in 8 to 12 weeks after their conversion if they are not vitally connected to people of the church. Churches connecting new believers to the church through some kind of a practice discipleship within the first weeks of their, first weeks of their conversion have found and proven to retain new believers at the rate of 70 to 80%. In other words, if we don't have a plan and we don't have a process and we're not committed to the practice of disciple-making, then what we're really doing is we're doing a great disservice to people that we share the good news with, but we never help them to get established and grounded in who they are in Christ, what is the Bible, what does it mean to pray, and all the things that some of us take for granted. So, there are several things that I believe, I just want to suggest four, that are things that we must do and that we can do, and that relate to this idea of making disciples. And some of this is very kind of general, but also I'm going to get very direct with us as a body of believers. Number one, I I really don't know that you can argue much with this, but we have a divine mandate that we just got through reading, a divine mandate to make disciples. Making disciples begins with leading someone to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins with that, but it doesn't stop there. I think that's the error we've made. We think once we lead someone to Christ and we lead them in a prayer, and then we all right, you're done. All right, everything's great. But the Bible never lets us off that easy. It tells us that we're to actually do more for someone than just to lead them to Christ. And to be honest with you, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are sitting in churches today who never, ever, some of them never actually made a decision for Christ. And there's others who have never, ever, ever established good foundations for their faith. That is a sad commentary, but all too true. Let me share with you a story of a man named John War, W-A-R-R. John lived in the 18th century. He was an apprentice shoemaker. Rarely, I think, today would you meet a shoemaker, much less an apprentice shoemaker. But back in the 18th century, they were fairly common. John War was determined to be a faithful disciple and disciple maker for Christ. One day, another apprentice was hired in the same cobbler shop And John started talking to him about spiritual things. Can I pause the story just for a moment? Sometimes we make this so complicated. We think we've got to have 16 scriptures memorized, and we've got to have some extensive training, which all that's wonderful, before we could actually influence someone to come to Jesus Christ. Do you know it's simply as simple as starting a spiritual conversation? 
It is as simple as simply saying to someone, have you given much thought to spiritual things before? How hard is that? And granted, many people say, no, or I'm really not interested in doing that, or whatever it might be. Anyway, back to the story. John War, with this new apprentice, began just asking questions and talking about spiritual subjects. The new apprentice was totally disinterested, and in fact told John War, don't bother me with this kind of spiritual garbage. Then one day, the new apprentice, there was an incident on the job, and he committed a minor crime and was at risk of losing his job and actually going to jail. After being caught in his crime, in his great humiliation and guilt, he went to John, his fellow apprentice, and asked for help. And he asked for prayer. John said, absolutely. And through the faithful witness of John War, that man put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior that day. And he was developed into a committed disciple under the tutelage of John War. That young man was William Carey. And if you know anything about William Carey, you know that he later became one of the most fruitful missionaries and actually became to India in particular, as well as other places around the world, and became recognized widely as the father of modern missions. William Carey. William Carey's faith in Jesus, although we know that God was after him, we know that the Holy Spirit was doing his job, we can say John War, by the way, isn't always interesting. We know who William Carey is, but none of you ever knew who John War was. But it was John War's witness. It was John War's one-on-one discipling of William Carey that brought him to the place of being willing to leave everything for the sake of winning some to Jesus Christ. So, we have a divine mandate as well to make disciples. The second statement I want to make is not only do we have a divine mandate to make disciples, but many churches, this is simply a fact, many churches and Christians are not able to effectively ground people in their faith. They're either not able or they simply don't do it. And so what we end up with are generations of non-discipled decision makers. Someone once told me many, many years ago, there's a big difference between making decisions and making disciples. There's a big difference between someone who simply makes a decision for Christ and then someone who becomes a disciple. And yet there are many, many of us and churches that simply don't take that seriously. When we talk about disciple making, it begins with the decision to follow Christ, but also involves learning the spiritual disciplines, learning what it means to pray, to learn the very basics of what the Bible means to us. It it means so much. And it's not all that difficult, but it simply takes a commitment to do it. The third statement I want to make is that making and multiplying disciples can impact the world. You know what my experience has been is that really what I find more than not are many, many people who have made decisions to follow Christ, but no one has invested the time. Sometimes, obviously, it's the person's problem and fault. But 
Many times it's that there's not a clear pathway for discipleship. So we simply tell them, just go to church. You'll be fine. And that's not always true. And it's not really fair, is it? So the result of disciple-making will not only increase the number of disciples, uh, the movement of Christianity grows through reproduction, not through crusades. I'm all for crusades. I'm all for Christian broadcasting. But the real heart and soul of expanding the kingdom of God is through the responsibilities of individuals and local churches to fulfill this important mandate. The last one, number four statement I want to make, is that as a local church, we have adopted what I would call a proven plan and process for discipleship. We are committed to helping every new and young believer to reach maturity in Christ. That's what discipleship is all about. By the way, if I can just pause and explain this to you, there's really two kinds of discipleship. Because these words are thrown about. You ever notice that? Like the word discipleship is like, define it, please. Discipleship, or the art of disciple making, has two, really two phases. One is what we call foundational discipleship, and the other is called formational discipleship. Foundational discipleship is where someone is grounded in their faith and learn the basics of the spiritual disciplines, the basics of their faith, and that foundation is laid, and they're able then to, on on that foundation, continue to grow. Formational discipleship is the growing to be like Jesus that every one of us will always be on that journey. Listen, you never graduate from that journey. You're still on it. None of us really arrive until we see Jesus, right? That'll be a wonderful day. But until then, we all should be in the process of being made like Jesus Christ. And that is formational discipleship. But what we're really focusing on this morning is the foundational part of discipleship. As a church, we have adopted, and in just a little bit after I finish my message, we're going to actually introduce the first graduating group of disciples. We had a seminar. We have run through a process, which we'll explain to you in just a moment, but we're excited about that. But I'm telling you this morning that as a church, we are committed to discipling young believers and not just take it for granted. Now, what I thought might be helpful is if I just very quickly share with you why I think this works. And it's really not in an effort to promote a program as much as I'm interested in promoting the idea of discipling people. And for many of us who are sitting here, maybe even reviewing and making sure that we have our foundations properly established. We've adopted a plan and a process written by a friend of mine, the manual that accompanies it, Frankly, the process was invented by Jesus. But uh, this is a book, a workbook that I have on the screen, written by a good pastor friend of mine named Grant Edwards. And it's simply called First Steps. Uh, One-on-one discipleship. A couple things about that program, just just fully for awareness. First of all, it focuses on on the foundational part. Making sure that everyone has the right foundations. It lasts for 10 to 12 weeks. And it is all about a one-on-one relationship. It is not a classroom-based program. It's not a large group program. It is a one-on-one process where I am a discipler trained, gone through the process, 
and I adopt Brent as my disciple, and for 10 to 12 weeks, he and I meet one time a week, one time a week, an hour a week, and we both work through the workbook. At the end of that time, he has a, he's been able to ask questions. He's been able to pray together. We are able to talk about things. We're able to actually begin to practice some of the spiritual disciplines together. At the end of 10, 12 weeks, he has the basics under his belt. This particular plan, I think, is beneficial from several standpoints. Because I know the natural question is, why should someone have to, why do this? Why, and who's it for? Some of you are immediately going to say, well, this is obvious. You know, someone is brand new in Jesus. Yes, they need to do that. But I want to suggest to you that it actually has a couple of other perspective purposes. First of all, First Steps applies to brand new believers. Let's look at the scripture. I've just picked a scripture out for each of these. It provides foundations for new believers, as 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says. The scripture says, like newborn babies. Most of us here have been around newborn babies, right? There's one thing you say about a newborn baby, it's what? Whether it's night or day, they're going to let you know when they're hungry. Am I right? Mama, and there's certain things mama can only do. All right. So, like newborn babies, do what? Crave pure spiritual milk. Can't eat solid food until you've made sure that you are able to handle it. Crave pure spiritual milk so that you may what? Grow up. Everybody say it. Grow up. The idea is to grow up. But it begins with pure spiritual milk. So first of all, a discipleship plan has to do with new believers, providing them foundations. Secondly, though, it has to do with foundations for not only for new, uh, new believers, but even for renewed believers and for those who may have come to Christ, but who, who uh, may have never had the right foundations put in place. You know, there are a lot of people like that. So even though they may have known Christ for a year or 10 years, they may have never, ever had those put in place. So I, I wanted to share this scripture in Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 15. It says, basically, after ministry takes place through five-fold uh, gift ministries and the teaching and the ministry of the word, it says this, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So by maturing, through maturing believers, making sure that we have been properly discipled. And then the third would be for those who have known Christ for a good while, may have even had foundations laid, but somehow may just need to go back and renew them. Through our training processes, we actually found if we were to have distributed a, uh, some kind of an exam at the beginning of the training about certain of the things that were to be learned through the 10 to 12 weeks following this manual, many of us would have not passed the exam. And yet, they're all basics. So what does that mean? Sometimes we just kind of move on and we think, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so even for mature believers to renew their faith and their knowledge and the foundation 
It's very important. Hebrews 6 speaks to these kinds of people, speaks to all of us who've known the Lord for some time. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. What it's saying is, let's just make sure, get it straight and move on. Get it right and move on. Can't move on until you make sure you have it right. All right? So that's why... You know, that's why universities have core courses. And everybody yawns and is bored by the core courses. But if you don't have the core, you'll be missing something later on. Am I right? So even as a mature believer, it's very, very helpful just to make sure that I've got these straight. So I want to leave you with a challenge. I want to leave you with a challenge today. First of all, I'd like to challenge every one of you, and I'm challenging myself to rededicate ourselves to being contagious. If you're contagious, that means someone else can catch what you have, right? But how many of you know that not all Christians are contagious? Someone ought to be able to catch what you have. You ought to be so infected by Jesus, so infected by his truth and his word in your life and it show in your life and your behavior and what you know and what you say. It ought to be so obvious that it infects other people who are around you. I want to recommit myself to being a contagious Christian. What's our greatest, one of our greatest problems in being contagious Christians is we just get so busy with our stuff. Let's not forget that he bought us with Amen? Number two, second challenge. Decide today with me to be a disciple maker. I'd like for you to decide to be a disciple maker. And that might involve you going through some of our training to to be a disciple maker. Uh, It might simply mean you getting it onto your radar screen more. Number three, I'd like to challenge you to renew your personal faith. Listen, now I said that, renew your personal faith. There are those in this room who say, well, I, you know, I've been serving the Lord for a long time. I know that. You know, it might just be helpful for you to renew your personal faith. And if so, if you'd like to do that, we are prepared to begin a sign-up process, even beginning today. Uh, James Wright, who I'll introduce in just a second, is going to be taking names and allowing, if you're interested at all, we'll follow up with you. But there's a process with you having, let's say, for example, if if Patricia is my disciple and I would like to do that, she has already gone through our training, and so we would hook up woman to woman, man to man. We'd assign you to an existing discipler. And so Patricia would begin to meet with me once a week for that hour, for those 10 weeks. We'd go through the manual together. And at the result of that time, you say, well, I think I knew most of that. How many of you think it might be helpful just to make sure that you renew your personal faith? I know we're getting ready to present some who've gone through the seminar, gone through the the intensive one-on-one trainings. I would be willing to say, almost all would say, there's stuff that I was shocked to know that I didn't know by going through this. 
So I would just like to invite someone. I don't, we can't handle everybody at once, but if you're interested, we'd like to challenge you to go through the process. I'd actually have, I have a goal. Over the next 12 months, I'd like for us as a church to take 100 disciples of Jesus through this one, this, this one 12, 10 to 12 week process. 100 people. That would include people who just come to Christ. It would also include people who have known Christ. Maybe a mature believer just wants to renew their foundations. 100, that's my goal. 100 people the next 12 months. I think that is very doable, but it's going to take some action on our part, and we'll work towards that. I mean, is there anything unreasonable in that challenge? There are one, two, three steps there that I'd like to challenge you in. Anything unreasonable about that? Okay. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to